You're listening to the Tour Station Western League podcast with Ian Knockholz and Tom Hiscott. Welcome, listeners, to this festive edition of the Tool Station Western League podcast with me, Ian Knockholds, and I'm delighted to welcome onto the line not Tom Hiscott. We've given him another week off, um, but it is our social media manager. It is James Healy. Hello, Jim. How are you? Very well, Ian. Well, I've just got over COVID, so um, a lot better than I was last week. So uh, nice to give Tom a week off to and help Sandra, I think, wrap loads of presents for the Tool Station Western League fans. Yes, very much so. Well, I'm sorry to hear you've got COVID, but well, you've had it. But that is a reminder, I suppose, that the virus is, is still with us. But at least it's not wreaking much havoc with the fixtures as the weather. No, the last weekend was a major disappointment, wasn't it? I was looking forward to, because uh, I was at home, stuck inside. I was looking forward to sitting there scrolling through and looking at all the scores come flashing up. But unfortunately, um, yeah, the weather had other ideas on that one. The weather certainly did. The weather had beaten us. And um, I must confess, largely because of my own sort of work commitments, that I um, it was a blessed release last week where, that we, we didn't really um, need to get a, a podcast out. I say we didn't need to get it. I did. I have to say, Jim, that I missed it. I am used to the you know the weekly routine of, um, of of doing the podcast, and we didn't get one out. And even though I think the weather was crueler to us this week than it was last week, um, we've um, we, we've certainly got a bumper edition of the Tool Station Western League uh, podcast for the listeners um, today. Um, Jim and I are going to kick things off in a minute by having a chat about some of our latest social media campaigns. And uh, and then we do have a uh, we have managerial interviews for you, but with a slight difference this week. Normally, of course, we have a manager from the first division and a manager from our premier division. This week, we've got two managers in the same interview for a very good reason. Um, Jim and I will be picking out our pick of the festive fixtures. And um, before we finish today, uh, we will also be ha- hearing from our league chairman, John Paul, and the secretary of the to- of the Southwest Peninsula League, um, Phil Hiscox. They'll be giving us an update on where we are with Project Southwest. And dare I say it, we'll be able to call it something else going forward. We do have an announcement on what the name of the new league will be there's also some other bits and pieces that um i know that james and i will be um dealing with just before the end uh, an important festive announcement for you listeners um but um without any further ado we'll we'll kick this edition off by um by talking about some of the things that we've been doing on social media and jim you know um western league club is not just for christmas but the club shop can be rather helpful yeah it can yeah i think um a lot of clubs rely on sales in their club shops. I mean, obviously, you've been to a lot of grounds, as have I. Um, you see the shops set up of clubs selling bubble hats, coats, scarves, pin badges. Um, I know I'm a bit of a sucker for pin badges. Um, yeah, so we, we we set up a, a page that we did last year, actually. I think it's always been up there of clubs, links to clubs, club shop pages. Um, so people can easily find club shops and they can go online and hopefully support their local team and wear their bubble hat. I know I've got a couple of bubble hats. I've got a Mausel one. Um, I've got a Sherborne one. And I've got pin badges from a lot of the grounds as well. So, um, yeah, and I was going to look actually because my wife's a bit of a sucker for a bubble hat. So I might see if I could just find a, a random 
bubble hat of someone like Welton or someone like that and buy her that for Christmas, I'm sure it'll go down really well. I've got a Welton bubble hat. Oh, there we go. I've it's got it Green Army hand. written on the front of it. Yeah, there we go. So I, I'm sure Sarah would love that. Yes. Uh, I've also been collecting pint glasses. Uh, not so in a sort I, of... Actually. Not in a weird way, you know, like going round to sort of various hotels and sticking them in your coat pocket. <laughs> you know, they speaks the, the voice of experience. Where you, you buy your pint and you you get the plastic ones, don't you, for two pound or a pound or whatever, and then you can either get your pound back if you give the pint glass back, or you can keep the pint glass. So yeah, I've got a few out there. I think actually we we got our ones at the same time when we went to the doing the collection for the shirt when we were down at Sherbourne. We did, and then after that, I did another collection at Shepton Mallet, and they do the same things. It's a and, um, idea. It is, and I was encouraging the, you know, my my friends from Radstock Town to do the same thing because I would very much like a Radstock Town pint glass. I'm I'm not sure. I think you might be able to get Welton Rovers pint glasses. I mean, if if ever there was a reason to visit West Clues, it would be to get another pint glass. This is a slightly obscure direction that I didn't, you know, expect this conversation <laughs> to go in. Listeners, if you do get a chance to go to your club and, and I mean, uh, admittedly, the days in, in this year are few and far between. But if, like me, you haven't done any Christmas shopping yet, then um, perhaps visiting your local tool station, Western League club shop, wouldn't be a bad idea. Now, I don't know if you have a favourite club shop, Jim. It's probably Sherbourne, if, if if it exists. But the one that impressed me the most, I have to say, was Shepton Mallet. It's like Aladdin's cave. And, of course, it's positioned very close to the entrance, not only to the bar, but also the main gate. And uh, I can't think of a better, uh, you know, a, a, a better display. I, I, you know, anybody who, who is going to um, Shepton Mallet, go and visit their club shop. You might not want their memorabilia, but I just think it's a it's a cracking um, it's a cracking feature. And, you know, after Covid, we all know a lot about secondary spend, don't we? And why wouldn't we um, want to spend a few extra quid on a bit of merch? I do love a bit of merch now. Um, we will move on to talk about a little bit of football. Um, on Tuesday, the 13th of December, um, Longwell Green Sports entertained Bristol Telephones and the phones um, ran out 2-0 winners um, there. John Allen has taken over at the phones. Of course, he was previously at um, at uh, Canesham Town. So um, we're expecting big things of the phones uh, now. And they certainly started in fine form at Longwell. And then the solitary game that occurred on Saturday, the 17th of December, in the whole of the Tool Station Western League, saw Ashton and Batwell United make the trip down to Torpoint Athletic. And, uh, well, it was Torpoint who ran out three one winners. So um, um, congratulations to Torpoint for one, getting that game on and two, um, running out as uh, as victors. And that's about as good as the um, uh, as the as the football content gets on this week's um, podcast. Um, one game that we were hoping um, to be talking about on this week's podcast was the match between um, Wellington and Mausel. Now, this game had an added importance because both clubs have recently suffered um, real tragedy as players um, from both sides have um, have recently taken their own lives. Back in November, the news broke that Reese McLean, a former Mausel player, had tragically taken his own life. And a few days later, Wellington were in the position of having to announce that the, the sudden passing of their player, uh, Lloyd Manning. Now, regular listeners will know that mental well-being has been a regular theme on the podcast this year as we travel across the southwest with um, with Mind in various different counties, visiting clubs and doing bucket collections and promoting our our player posters 
Um, in fact, last month I was uh, at Wellington when we did our uh, collection there and I had an opportunity to have a chat with their joint manager, Alex Pope, about his experience of supporting people in the game um, with their mental health um, challenges. Now, normally we'd be reflecting on Wellington and Mausel on the pitch, but I hope you understand that this week, of all weeks, it's important to consider how these clubs are coping off the pitch and um, with these terrible tragedies. Now, I know this won't be an easy listen, but I would ask you to reflect uh, on how the themes that we cover in this interview can perhaps help you or someone you care for. The interview features um, Jay Cash, the manager of Mausel, and Alex Pope. And also we get some professional um, advice as well from a mental health nurse uh, called Avril. Um, but I started the interview by asking Alex how the two clubs had hoped to, to use Saturday's game to mark their respects for their former players. Yeah, so there's been a, a number of things that the club have done uh, recently. And one of the things that was decided is that the reserves who Lloyd played most of his time for would retire the number three shirt. And as a sign of respect, having spoke to the committee, we felt that perhaps not retiring the third shirt, uh, number three shirt for the first thing would be the right thing. But certainly for that game, we wouldn't wear it and having spoke to Jake, they were in agreement that they wouldn't wear their number three either. So that would be a mark for that, um, as well as the the minute silence um, and yourself or a few other organisations were going to come down and um, just show their support, show their face, get to know some people around the club so that we can do some things further down the line, which we hopefully have in the pipeline for January. But initially it was the, it was the not wearing the number three as a mark of respect. Obviously, this is a, a tragedy that touched Mausel as well. And um, for those people listening to this who won't be familiar with your player, uh, your former player, Rhys McLean, can you tell us a bit about his time at Mausel? Yeah, of course. Reese was Reese was uh, with us about 18 months ago. Um, was with us up until the, the pandemic kicked in the first time. Um, he's a London boy, um, had come down to us and, and wanted to... to pursue still had dreams of pursuing a, a, a career in the professional game so came down with us and, and was living down here and was just a tremendous ebullient infectious young man um real brilliant smile um i remember we used to um used to have a bit of a joke with him about his hair he used to have this this amazing like amazing hairstyle that i couldn't sort of fathom how he kind of kept it under control and um he just he was just a brilliant personality um when the pandemic kicked in, he, he went back up to London and the way football went, we, we, we never had the opportunity to get him back down. Um, I think he pursued a few other things up in London football-wise. So he was with us for the best part of that season. So from sort of July to July to March. So it was only a short time, but even in that short time he was with us, he made an, a, a brilliant impression um, on everyone at the club, the players, the, the, the staff, the, the volunteers, just a just a lovely 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 young, young man um so we were obviously really sad to hear um the news it came as a real surprise um i've said to a few people it it really shook me i think i um i think i feel quite steady i think i'm probably pretty uh sort of flat but not flat personality but but a pretty pretty steady one and not many things kind of flat me but that that really hit me and uh it was the first person that i knew that sort of lost their life um through 
you know, taking their own life in it. And it, yeah, it really hit us and really hit everyone at the club. So um, we wanted to find the positive in a really horrible thing. Um, so so we went to work behind the scenes in in trying to rectify it. We can't say that it will never happen again, but we wanted to make sure that we did everything possible to try and stop it from ever happening again. We're going to talk a little bit about what you did um, later in the interview, but I guess from your position as manager, obviously you're in a position where you're very close-knit with the players in your dressing room, and I imagine that you are in a position where you feel some responsibility uh, as their as as their leader. Obviously, the fans and the other volunteers at the club will have been familiar with Reese and will have been hit by the tragic news of his death. But, I mean, for you and the group, did that make it harder because it was something that perhaps you hadn't seen coming? It was something that perhaps you'd not... But you've just said it's not something you'd experienced before. Yeah, I think that was that was a difficult bit for me. I was It was a new, really new emotion, really raw. and I, I, I hadn't dealt with it or processed it before. As a manager, you, yeah, I think there's definitely an element where you think about how your conversations with that person went because you know, I know Alex would be in the same position. You leave players out and then you bring, you know, you bring players in and that means that someone might not play and and that affects people. It affects people in different ways. Some people brush it off. Some people are happy to go Christmas shopping. <laughs> you know, so it, it really impacts people in different ways. But ultimately, you're responsible for making that decision and. The impact that has on on people, and it's, that's why you know we do it. It's difficult, but there's lots of positives that come from it as well. So, so yeah, you know, I found myself going back through messages with Reese, you know, going back through, um, you know, old WhatsApp conversations, and 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 I felt buoyed by the fact that we'd had a really good. I felt we anyway we'd had a really good relationship, and conversations we'd have were, were, were really positive. Even the difficult ones were. Um, we're, we're done in the right manner from from both myself and him, and but you, you, sometimes you can't you can't look to lay blame or on yourself and um, you know look for answers all the time. It's and, and that sometimes makes it more difficult, I guess, because you can't quite understand it. Um, but yeah, it really difficult, Ian, and and I know the the players felt the same, and we had a really big conversation with the group. Um, at training and it was really powerful it was so different from any other training session we'd had um, and there's been some really good conversations off the back of it with players that I probably wouldn't have had before um, about stuff away from football um, and we've obviously done a little bit via social media and, and kind of come up with a, a mental health policy and I, th- I think the two best things that came out of it is I've had I won't mention names but I've had two separate managers who've contacted me and said that was the kick up the backside I needed, you know, having hearing that and seeing the seeing what you guys have put in place. That's made us think about what we do. And I think if, if nothing else, that's a huge positive to come out of it. Alex, I would imagine that there's a lot of what Jake has described there that you can empathise with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jake mentioned he hasn't experienced this before. I unfortunately have, but outside of football. Um, and, you know, you, you question whether as a friend, is there something you haven't done or like, you know, you've gone back through conversations, whether just in your head or, or whatever. Um, and the, the reason I sort of feel passionate about this, um, is, is what this boils down to really is, is that final word in, in any club is club. We're a, a group of people that are getting together on a Saturday, Tuesday, whatever, 
and it's for that purpose of yes, there's the elite element. We're all trying to push up, push up the leagues, but we're essentially a, a band of brothers. So if that sort of environment can't pull together to try and you know keep an eye on each other's backs, then 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 where does it happen? And that's where I think we are in a in a position really where despite these things happening, we're fortunate where, and this is where I was, I wanted the the first team to have quite a, a strong stance on it, despite perhaps not being so close with Lloyd, um, is that we do have that social media following and that presence where we can have other managers and clubs see that, you know, something's happened here. We're looking to do something positive. And, and that's the, the power of football. It's, it's a great vehicle for things like this. You know, there's no guarantees we could have done anything. There's no guarantees we can do anything going forward. But if we just try and all try and do more, then it's it's a positive move, isn't it? Um, we talked a little bit about um, about Reese with Jake. Um, I think it would be nice to have the opportunity to talk about a, a little bit about Lloyd with with you. Um, I appreciate he wasn't a member of your first team, but obviously he was a very much loved member of your club. And I, I've seen the statements that the club have put out about him. So obviously his time at your football club um, was was very well spent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I myself live in Exeter um, from Minehead originally. So uh, it's, it's grown over time, my attachment to the club. But I don't have those sort of deep roots that someone like Lloyd and some of the other players, certainly in the reserves, one or two in the first team do. Uh, and it's clear what the club means to those people and what those people mean to the club. Uh, and that that's really valuable. And I know that we've had some evenings with, with those closer to Lloyd where it's been sort of open house for people to come in and talk. And I know that um, there are a lot of emotions felt in those times. But what's great to hear is that a lot of those grown men were happy and well uh, and, and able to open up shed a tear in front of each other uh, which for me is the most important thing that they uh, that they could do um and recently had lloyd's funeral and there was a lot of orange involved so again means a lot to not just lloyd but to the family as well and that that's what's so great about wellington is it's a it's a community club as i say i'm sort of on the fringes of that but i can see it is the sort of the hub of the town and uh you know it, it's definitely affected the community and as i say this is where things like football clubs have that that vehicle and, and are so powerful to be able to sort of spread the message and be somewhere for not just the players but the fans and, and the other stakeholders neighbors of the club can come you know like it's a bit of an analogy but where you have the defibrillators in places around the club can be that but it's it's more of a, an emotional sense and a physical sense. Uh, Avril, um, thank you very much for taking the time um, to join us. Um, I understand that you are an ambassador um, for Go Again. C can you tell us a little bit about your role and a bit a bit more about the organisation? Well, as as regards to my role, I'm hoping to build up more. I've been talking to them about being able to do more with them um, because I am a mental health nurse. So I'm trained in DBT. I'm trained in mantra training and, and various therapies and brief intervention work. So, you know, I want to be able to bring that more to them um, because I work in football as well. So I'm also a football manager, but more at the grassroots level, which I think it's really important 
to bring that awareness even to that level of football. It's often at grassroots level, that's why most people play. It's part of doing something different, being together as a group and part of supporting their mental health. Um, but also understanding that there were places to go and that we can have those conversations when we're at football. Um, and go again, the work they do is maybe at a higher end than where I work down at, right down at the grassroots and local level of football at the moment. And I know they're hoping to extend that. Um, but, you know, working with those players who maybe haven't been able to um, get that success that they wanted or looked at their futures. I mean, we talk a lot in mental health about emerging adults, which is your 16 to 24 year olds, and about those decisions that are put on those young adults and the decisions about their life, about their future. And sometimes it doesn't quite go the way they want it to go or things happen that are different. They don't quite get that. And having people there to support that and understand that though, that is one of the most difficult periods in a person's life is to all of a sudden you know you're expected to be moving out the family home not being looked after maybe learning to drive getting a job earning your own money in that short period of time you've got to make those decisions and and in football that's important as well and these players who are going on to maybe you know they want to be footballers or be involved in football and I would have loved to be there as a kid as well and my journey didn't take that that route and that was quite hard for me so it's making sure we support those people and give them a direction to go and know that there's that support there and they don't have to give up on what they want to achieve there's always something else or some of a direction some of a route so go ahead do amazing work in supporting that and do a really good job so it's nice to be an ambassador for that and hopefully we can stretch that across all football uh, Avril alluded to there um I've been part of the go again team now for for a few years um in terms of being an ambassador for them and Avril said about the grassroots game go again initially were set up to work with academies uh, and players that were released um, as we saw a spike in the media certainly um, around uh, players that were taking their own lives or struggling with with that and that lack of success. Um, but it's become apparent, as we are now talking at the, the Western League level, that it's happening all over football, just as it's happening all over society. And with that, I know that Go Again are, are trying to to spread themselves to, to help wherever they can. Um, but it's a, it's a fairly small organisation. And one of the things they're looking to do is to is to partner with with people, um, mental health experts, other charities, and things, pretty much across the nation. Now I know they operate uh, up in the northwest at the moment. Uh, I think they have a partnership with Oldham, um, and there's a, a few partnerships in the southwest. So it's it's developed a lot in the last few years, yeah. um, and I know that again they just want to help wherever they can, but it's not always that simple. Alex and Jake have described two very human tragedies. Sadly, I imagine that the story of, of suicide of young men is all too familiar to you, Avril. Yeah, unfortunately. And it's it's very high in the southwest. It's such a difficult one. And I think there is, um, especially in this area, and I know it's similar in Devon as well, people, I suppose, are more isolated. We have more isolated communities. And like I said, it is those young men, those emerging adults, and they haven't got those people to go to, all those connections. 
and unfortunately we are we are struggling with that in these counties and more and more people in that age bracket of those 16 to 24 are taking their own lives and that's where we need to do better and that's the whole of the areas that's the whole of society that's everybody i mean there's there's mental health teams there there's mind like you said there's so many things out there but knowing that when you're struggling with your mental health and knowing who you can go to and knowing those people you can speak to isn't that easy um and most of the people who actually take their own lives are people who have never actually had contact with mental health services you know and we just it's it's so hard to get to that point and that's where we really need to be talking to you know your family your friends your, your the bloke you pass in the street because sometimes just those simple small conversations and trying to start something and talking about it you know if we can open that up and do better and we all need to take that on board we all need to take that on board because like I said there's awareness of it out there we're not happy to talk about it it's not often people talk about it you don't sort of sit in the pub or you wouldn't be at football or you're out with your friends and we're talking about mental health and we're talking about the problems we've had we don't do that as people human nature unfortunately but we need to do better we need to be checking people are okay so jake we've alluded to this a, a bit earlier in the interview we, we've talked about the um the mental health policy that that you've you've put in place it's available on your website. I would certainly encourage anybody um, who's listening to this to go and have a look at it, particularly if they're involved in the club, because personally, I think it's excellent. In fact, I think it, it, it's so good. It prompted the, the Western League to put together our own page um, of contacts and information for people looking for support. But can you just talk a little bit through the different steps that you've taken as a club to try and provide um, some mental health support for your for your community? Yeah, so I mean, once we'd heard the news, the the sad news about Reese, we, as a coaching group, um, and one of the directors met on the Monday following it and just said, look, we need to do something. We don't know what it is. I'm lost. This is new to me. Um, you know, we just want to make sure that none of the boys ever feel they haven't got anywhere to turn or speak to or, or know the pathways beyond the football club in which they can, you know, they can get support. So. Um, quite quickly that snowballed and, and everyone's enthusiasm about putting something in place that would make a difference was was really quite tangible and um, two of the directors Ben Gibson and, and Kevin Bishop were um, really instrumental in in driving it on and, and coming up with the, the policies as you've seen and, and equally coming up with some training um, so Ben's already undertaken his um, mental health first aid qualification through through his work fortunate enough to do it through his work um, he said it was incredibly enlightening, um, difficult, really tough as well, but hugely, hopefully hugely beneficial to us as a club, not just the first team, you know, like Alex has said with Lloyd, you know, it's, it's a whole club thing. Um, you know, our reserve team, um, our ladies team, the youth teams, uh, we wanted to stress that there's a point of contact for them that they could speak to. Um, and um, and they knew who that was in the club so so ben as one of the directors is is that point of contact that's shared with everyone within the club that they know that if they feel comfortable he's there to speak to uh, we've told the players obviously that, that that's their contact or, or me as the manager and, and i'm going to go through that training in, in february um the council have, have been great and they're subsidizing a lot of this um support for, for mental health so so i'm fortunate enough that i'm going to do the course as well um and off the back of that, then the, the policy was created and got it in front of me. It's a sort of five five kind of main points. Obviously, you know, the main one around 
where that pathway is for people to talk to within the club. Um, other ones outside of the club in terms of, you know, the Stay Alive app and the Cornwall Suicide Liaison Services as well, um, where people might find that, that information. Um, and, and also talk about how, as on our social media, like Alex alluded to as well, I think this, I think the Twitter has got nearly 5,000 followers. So it's a really useful um, access point and conduit for, for getting really important things out there. So um, I was really proud of the club. Um, you know, I, I, I gave it a push, but, but certainly it was, it, was a, it, was the, it was the club that, that put this in place. And I don't think there's many of them out there. And it's sad that we've, it's had to come to this, I guess. But hopefully it's helped other clubs. I know that, that clubs have said that and hopefully it will help our football club um, and our players, boys, girls, you know, adults, juniors, men, whatever, um, that they know that, there's, that this is a club that will help them. Um, and it's not just about football. You know, we're, you know, we're ambitious and we want to do well and it's really important what goes on on a Saturday. But there's so much more to life um, and we want our players to know that, that we see them as humans. They're obviously they're footballers, but we see them as human beings and most importantly, they, they know that we care about them. Um, Alex, I know you have an involvement go again. Um, have you found that that's helped you through what has, must have been a very difficult time in recent weeks? So for me, I'm quite fortunate that I have a network of of people where I can lean on them for advice or, or just if, if I need to, someone to talk to. Um, and that's because of my own journey and things that I've been through personally, and I'm not afraid to say, and I, well, I, in fact, I'm quite proud. I tell everyone that I have gone through these things. So I think it's important that if some people see me as, as successful and it's important that, that they know that even I say inverted commas, successful people have these struggles. Um, so I, I'm quite proud to tell people that I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of uh, and, and, talking and opening up certainly helped me and because of that I've now have this sort of network and I've been able to to work with the guys that go again um to to have some support and some resources on these times now because I've done a little bit with go again um they're quite happy that when if I not that they're at my beck and call but if I need them for something they they're, they're more than happy to help me out as I'm sure they would be with anyone but it's just nice for me to know that in these moments, all I have to do is pick up the phone. And um, as I say, yourself, you've been been one of them. Uh, it's not just go again. There are plenty of people that have, have been willing to help, and that's that's great. Um, Avril, while we've been talking, um, you you will have obviously have heard what Jake said about what Mausel have put in place to try and support um, their club and. And obviously, um, you'll know Alex and, and, and Alex's work um, with the charity. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you have any sort of tips in a way for clubs that are listening to this and thinking this is something that we need to address, but we simply don't know where to start? And it is difficult because I think um, as much as we do like to think we've got a better awareness of mental health and maybe we have got a better awareness in society but our understanding of it is still really poor um, and that being able to open up conversations can be quite poor um, but it's making that more normal now I know in my dressing room luckily um, I'm at watch it bless them and whether that's 
because I'm female, so it's slightly easier, but we open up those conversations. So we don't just talk about mental health in the dressing room. We'd be open up conversations about testicular cancer, about stuff like that. And we open up that conversation and talk about these things. It's amazing how much they know. And once they start having those conversations, how much easier it gets. Um, and just then that awareness and having those people to talk to, like Jake said, I've set something similar up in the club and we have sort of an ambassador within the club that they can go to. is isn't directly necessarily me, even though they all know I worked in mental health. It's good to have that other person as well. So we've got that at Watch It Now. So that's set up and it's making sure you make that as easy for people as possible and you keep talking and you, you're never just a coach. If you're a coach or a manager at any club, you can never just be that because you're there... I mean, at grassroots, it should be the same at any level. My job as a manager is to know my players and to understand them and be able to have those conversations with those individuals and be able to... And it might not always be the case that I'm that person that has that relationship with them. I try to. But to make sure there's other people that they can talk to, that they're talking to each other about the important things, that they haven't got a problem mentioning mental health, which my goalkeeper's fantastic because he mentions it every week. <laughs> um, but making that open and making that easier and making people comfortable to have those conversations is really important and encouraging that. And if people aren't doing that, then somebody has to take the reins and lead that and try and make those conversations a more normal thing because it's okay to talk about mental health. We all struggle with our mental health at some point in our life. We all have those issues. I know I did a couple of years ago when I lost my father, I really struggled. I work in mental health, but I didn't have a clue how to make myself feel better. And I had to go to other people to achieve that. And that's fine for everybody. Everybody needs that at times, so let's talk. And my thanks to Alex, Jake and Avril for their time. Now, Jim, um, we will look ahead at the fixtures coming up this festive weekend. I know that the weather has been very cruel to us, but hopefully come Monday, the 26th of December, normal service will resume and we will be able to get back to some tall station Western League football. If we have a look at the fixtures in the Premier Division, which games caught your eye? Uh, one for me is uh, Bridgewater United against Cleveland, I think. Midday kickoff, so hopefully people won't be too hungover. And I know Bridgewater have been getting good crowds, and they've got two games in hand over Saltash, who sit top at the moment and two points behind. So, um, yeah, they're doing really well this year, Bridgewater, and um, seem to be going places on and off the pitch. So, yeah, that one stands out for me, Bridgewater Cleveland. And I think I'll have a look um, down into uh, the very tip of Cornwall where Mouse will um, take on Helston Athletic. I, that's a 12 o'clock kickoff. Well worth, uh, listeners, keeping an eye on all of your social media and all your information channels just to see when these games are kicking off because there are a variety of times. But the game between Mouse and Helston that I know was so eagerly anticipated um, this time last year, um, that one kicks off at midday. Uh, I'm sure it will be an absolutely bumper crowd and um, very keenly contested. Two sides with massive ambitions, a very, very competitive tie after a couple of weeks rest. Uh, now, Jim, what about the first division? What game catches your eye there? Uh, Porter said Nelsie and Tickenham for me. Um, getting an earlier kickoff, uh, two o'clock this one, but it's a, a derby game and apparently there's a bit of a friendly rivalry between the two teams. So, um 
I think, yeah, that one uh, that one stands out for me mainly because I've heard about this friendly rivalry. Well, one of the fixtures that catches my eye is that Gillingham get to go to Wincanton. Of course, Wincanton have, the, have been the tenants at Gillingham for a while, so uh, it'd be interesting. It would be nice for Gillingham to enjoy their hospitality and um, for a change. But the team that uh, the, the game that's caught my eye is FC Bristol against Hallen. We know that FC Bristol on their day can put out a very, very competitive side. And of course, Stu Jones at Hallen, you know, a side with big ambitions, certainly ambitions to get back. Um, into the Premier Division. Um, they won't be taking that game lightly. I think that would be a very, very competitive affair. Could be an absolute, absolute cracker. And that one is a three o'clock uh, kickoff. So um, uh, those are our games um, to watch on Monday, the 26th of December. Also, of course, known as Boxing Day. If you're thinking, Toolstation, I know they'll save me money, but do they have all the top brands? You know, DeWalt, Makita, Einhell, Stanley, Myra, Kudox, Nest and Santex. Yeah, they do. Over 15,000 trade quality products in the range from the leading brands with prices that are hard to beat. If you want a helping hand to save on your next job, try Toolstation. With over 300 branches, there's always a Toolstation near you. Uh, right now, um, we will move on to our next interview, and uh, that is a, our latest interview with um, John Paul, the chairman of the Toolstation Western League, and um, Phil Hiscox, the secretary of the Southwest Peninsula League. Um, there is news, listeners, to bring you of the merger between the two leagues, known, of course, as Project Southwest, but not for much longer. Uh, this this interview has got plenty of uh, of updates for you, not just about the administrative side, which is important, but also, of course, the interesting stuff that we as fans uh, enjoy as well. And I started off the interview by asking John if he could bring us up to date on where we got to with this. What's the background of uh, of of the merger? Just in case anybody um, isn't familiar with this particular proposal. The intention was um, inherit, having inherited probably one of the biggest problems um, that faces any football clubs and then also leads uh, from the perspective of administration is travel distances. This proposal that was put forward by both leagues uh, met favour with uh, the FA. Uh, they did uh, appreciate the issues that surrounded the present situation with the introduction of Devon and Cornwall coming into the Western League um, and consequently they've endorsed everything that has been done to date. We've made a considerable amount of progress having met um, monthly for some considerable, I don't know how long Phil now, some, some considerable since, time. Since the summer. And um, yeah, we're, we're well advanced as regards to where we want to be. We've had numerous meetings with county FAs, um, which we were tasked to do in the first instance. We've continued doing that with development officers and such like. We've met with Devon and Cornwall, and certainly we've received um, an awful lot of support going forward. So all the proposals that were submitted to the FA with regards to the amalgamation and everything pertaining to that, we're delighted with the progress that's been made. I, I guess, Phil, one of the key questions is um, how many how many teams and where um, and 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 which teams will be in um, the new leagues. I mean, obviously, you know, 
as a starting point, um, we're looking at those teams currently competing in, in, in both competitions. But can you give us a bit of an idea of sort of where these teams are going to come from? Yeah. I mean, first of all, let's do the mathematics. To be five divisions of 18 would be 90 clubs. If you assume that the step six divisions might have to start with 16, then your minimum numbers would be 84. So we're looking for between 84 and 90 clubs in an ideal world. The vast majority of those will come from the clubs that already play in either the two divisions of the Tool Station Western League or the two, two divisions of the Kitchen Kit Peninsula League. So that's, that's the main thrust of your teams. And then in addition to that, there are two other spaces available. From below, there are regional feeder leagues such as the St Piran, the Devon, the Somerset, Gloucestershire Northern, um, the Wiltshire League. Uh, where clubs in our geographical footprint can apply to the FA for promotion to step six. Uh, and there is some discussion, I only say at that point, about whether we could take more than the normal one from each of those this season. And also the proposal document that the FA ratified did also say that relegation from step six for this season may be reduced. So there's a, there's a little bit more grey area about promotion and relegation, which would help to boost the numbers. And then the fourth uh, source of clubs would be a potential for lateral moves. That's clubs that pro probably used to be members of the Western League, uh, but were moved out a couple of years ago, uh, mainly to make room for the, the influx of clubs from Cornwall. Um, now, some of those consider themselves to be historically Western League clubs and as much as in the past some clubs in the Western League have applied to the FA for a lateral move out of the Western League to reduce their travel, those other clubs can now apply to join the Western League to reduce their travel because they've now seen this restructured document and the footprints of the new divisions. So I guess then, John, the, the really critical question for those clubs, particularly the ones Phil's described there, looking to re uh, looking for a lateral move, or those clubs looking for promotion out of the feeder leagues, the critical question is, what are the applica application deadlines for those clubs interested in joining our new league? December the 31st um, is, the, is the key date. I think there needs to be an element of flexibility in the approach from the FA. Whether that would be forthcoming or not, I don't really know. But I, I, I think it's fair to say most of the clubs that would consider applying for lateral movement have probably given it that amount of thought. Now, there's some clubs, it's fair to say, that probably would never have left the Western League and probably would have been, in some respects, maybe even happy with the trouble. But in the main, it suited most to move out. Um, but, yeah, with, with the changes with regards to the footprint, certainly those clubs would be aware that the 31st date was critical. Um, and as far as I'm led to believe, although we've not been officially told there are clubs that apply, we don't know who they are um, any more than, you know, the speculation that some clubs would have, shall I say, declared an interest. And I guess, Phil, that the, the most important um, thing is that because of, because of our own regional restructure in the way that you've described there may be more opportunities for clubs to um for clubs to enter um from the feeder leagues than has traditionally been the case so actually now is a time for um those clubs that are that are looking to develop this is a great time for them to uh, to take that step indeed so i mean it is so important that um that this is a season where there are 
likely to be extra opportunities. When we talked about the numbers games shortly, a little while ago, when we talked about the difference between 84 and 90, 84 is, is the bottom line because that's what you would normally hope to achieve. You know, but we would, in an ideal world, we would like to have five divisions of 18, which means there's obviously extra six spaces. Uh, the easiest way to persuade the FA to fill those six spaces is for clubs to have applied to, to, to be promoted or to have a lateral move. Sometimes the, the clubs work, and John's already alluded to this, if clubs have already worked out their travel footprint, their expenses and mileage, they could well make a case to the FA that a lateral move or promotion is the best thing for that club at this time. And that if there are spaces, up to 90 spaces, then the FA should fill them. Now, the other $65 million question, Phil, uh, and it's the one that I know has been um, a, a topic for discussion ever since the merger was, was first announced, is what is the new league going to be called? Right. Well, there's there's two answers, and then we'll we'll expand about what the divisions are called as well, if you like. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the official name that will be registered at Company's House will be the, which is obviously the long name, is the Western Peninsula Football League Limited. Uh, the shortened version, obviously, will be the Western Peninsula League. Um, you know, we discussed it at great length, as you'd imagine. Um, and we came up with Western Peninsula because, as the, the adverts used to say, it does what it says on the tin. If in 20 years' time, some chap in Bristol refers to it as the Western League and some chap in Truro refers to it as the Peninsula League in 20 years' time, they're both still going to be right, aren't they? <laughs> so, <laughs> On top of which, you have to say that the tour station decision, which is still pending, could well impact on that as well as it as it has done in the past with regards to the western league certainly any sponsor's name would obviously prefix yes the, the name of, of the league both now and in the future because a, a sponsor pays that privilege uh, now just expanding on the name the divisions we again we had a long thought about that yeah. some of them geographically people might say well that's you're stretching your the bounds of physics and, and all the rest of it but in order to, for all five divisions to have their own unique name, the two step five divisions will be Premier North and Premier South. I think people can accept that. Premier North is sort of Bristol and Somerset. Premier South is Devon and Cornwall. We'll always argue about flexible lines in the middle and that will vary from year to year. And then below that, um, in order to, to keep five different titles, we're going to have an East, a Central and a West. So the Division 1 East, Division 1 Central, Division 1 West. Division 1 East will be effectively where Western League Division 1 currently is. Division 1 Central will be effectively where Peninsula League East currently is. And if you're uh, Mousel or, or Mullion and the bottom end of Cornwall, you won't see quite so much change because Division 1 West will be replacing... Peninsula West. <laughs> Just to add to that, um, again, the discussions have gone round whilst we're, we've not settled by any stretches. Whilst all, both leagues have always regarded club representatives as, as being just that, you know, that they've had a voice. I think in the future with the new league, we will be far more specific in terms of the roles that we expect from club representatives across those five divisions. I think it's important because of the geographical spread that we get them, you know, those respective clubs to, to, to be in a position whereby there is, there is some point of contact that they can actually get any concerns over. Um, 
we all know where they end up. Um, but I, I think it's important that, that we identify an individual for those respective leagues to be able to represent those divisions. Sorry, I said leagues, divisions. And, and there is an important reason for that, isn't there? Because as much as we've historically in both leagues been used to the administration that has served those clubs well, with this structure, we, we are, from what Phil has described, we are looking at a huge number of clubs within the league. And therefore, that link between those clubs and the league board is is more important than ever. It, it definitely is. I, I mean, we got we got very little to base this on at our level, really, because... You know, whilst there are other leagues that could argue they got, you know, if you if you include veterans, women, kids, and everything else, they're administering quite a number of teams. But I think ours is unique in as much that we are looking at, as Phil indicated, eighty-four to ninety clubs, and they are all senior clubs. They all got people involved that got an opinion, quite rightly so, um, and they and they think they need a channel to be able to express their views. I think the numbers. Could you know could significantly bring about changes whereby, to be fair, there'd be probably more opinions about than perhaps we had in the past. Um, and you know, I think I think it's something for us to to be able to address. I mean, I, I don't I, I don't think we got any major concerns about it, but I, I think it's it's just right to have a structure whereby people can you know express their concerns. Because I guess from your perspective, Phil, having gone through this process, um, we don't want to see a situation where the clubs in the west of the peninsula feel as if actually the administration remains as it was in the southwest peninsula days and the clubs to the east or the north um, see themselves continuing as, a, as Western League. The, the purpose of this exercise is that we are one league. We are administered by one body and we have a common set of principles and ideals that govern all of us. Quite right, uh, Ian, quite right. It's going to be important in the first 12 months, and I'll tackle the issue in two bits, but in the first 12 months to make sure that the, the whole thing is rebranded, um, moving away from what was Western League, what was Peninsula League, and creating this, this new model. And hopefully, and, and certainly the steering group's views all along, have been to try and get the best practice from the existing two to go forward rather yeah. than necessarily a compromise of this or a compromise of that trying to just find the best way for each things and sometimes that's been the western league way sometimes it's been the peninsula league way uh, but we've got to have a structure and we've got to try and make the structure the best it can be but and this goes on to the second part of it what we're setting up is for the new league only really when it's up and running for a year or two will we possibly come across things that we hadn't thought of or, or things that we've addressed particularly well some things we haven't addressed particularly well and, and therefore it's important that the board has liaison with the clubs the county fa's the fa and can evolve because we all evolve over time uh, and if you know what we put in place now in a year's time we've got to tidy up something at an agm to make it slightly different if that's the best way forward yeah we've got to be open to that Excellent stuff. Now, John, um, obviously the work continues, um, although obviously we've made fantastic progress, um, uh, which we've I'm very pleased we've been able to cover in these interviews, this journey that we've been on. But where do we go from here? We stand um, obviously just before Christmas, um, but also before the new year. Uh, the, 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 the new season, I'm sure, will be upon us in no time at all. So, so what are the milestones that you and the team are working to? We're having a launch um, in 
uh, March, March the 16th um, at Exeter. Um, and that is set as the target. That means that going forward now, the steering group meetings will continue. But we need to start to tidy up the process now. We've, we've done an awful lot of talking as regards to how we see things being put together. And as Phil says, you know, we've taken bits from both leagues, you know, the best bits, the bits that we feel would be advantageous in, 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 the, you know, in the new league. I think it's fair to say that we need to we need to start to put people uh, or or certainly discuss how the how the makeup of the new board is 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 going to you know, is going to fall. Certainly, from the FA's perspective, we've not really um, had any major involvement, uh, or they've not had any major involvement with anything that we've done. We've been left very much to our own devices. As I said, meetings will continue. We've we've. It's important that, that we take the counties with us um, in terms of the supply chain. As Phil's emphasised, and he's covered it off admirably, in as much that this isn't all about taking; it's almost about it's also about giving back as well. Uh, that we need to create through the National League system of promotional relegation, and and that is that is the aim. I think it's fair to say at the moment we. What we're looking for is is total support to get this launched and get this forward, and that that is key to all of it. It's key to the fact that any of these clubs now, perhaps in the past, have felt that that it was always going to be a bridge too far. Um, that you know we're hoping to change that mindset so that clubs can actually buy into all this and. You know, sustainability is what it's about. Has this continuity, and I think that I think we're heading in the right direction. I, I mean, I'd, I've been more than happy with the way that all of the steering group meetings. We've not had one yet where we've not actually walked away feeling that we've achieved something, and long may that continue. And, and I see no reason why it why it won't. Bit by bit, we're breaking it down. But March the sixteenth is all is it, you know it's become all important now without a doubt, and I see no reason why we won't be in a position where we can present to the clubs what our intentions are. This is the season of goodwill that we're talking about, Christmas. Uh, so I think that that carry on with goodwill is is very important. We've had goodwill in the first half of the season between the two two league boards. We probably need more the goodwill of the member clubs to understand some of the changes and, and some of the procedures and some of the personalities and those things will evolve over the next 12 months. Um, but I think that the important thing really is that we've now got a target date, as John says, of March the 16th. I think we, we as a steering committee feel that we need at that meeting to be able to present, right, this is the absolute structure. These are the officers, or the initial officers for this structure. This is the bankers, the auditors. This is the rules for the league. This is the rules for the league cups and, and all the other various bits, articles of association for the company um, and all that stuff. So we've got a going concern as a, a, of a rule book to go forward. The next obstacle obviously would be uh, in April into May when you've got the constitutions to be sorted out and obviously we're very very much dependent now on the FA and also 
where clubs have finished in the league table and all the rest of it. Um, and I, I, can I just touch on one little issue there about the number of clubs being promoted from step uh, six to step five? In the proposal document, it says four for each of the three step six leagues to start with, and then it may be additional spaces. Yeah. Uh, I, I explained this to, to somebody on one of the more local regional podcasts, and I think it's a very good, useful story. Well, imagine we're in a situation that on the last Saturday of the season, we say April the 22nd, a team in step six, it doesn't matter which of the three divisions, uh, is, is in fifth position and thinks they may have missed out on promotion. It could well be that a team in a different league, and we're just going to throw in the name Cribs, who are an ex-Western League club currently playing in the Hellenic League, who are having a very good season. And good luck to their, their players and management on having a very good season. It could be as much as this, that a Cribs, a following week, will have to play a playoff game. If they win the playoff game, they go to step four, and there's a space for that team that's finished step in fifth. They lose the playoff game. They don't go to step four, and there isn't a space for that team in step four, uh, step six rather. Um, and it's that sort of goodwill we're going to need that it's there will be opportunities for other teams. And I think, and I'm sure John would tell clubs in West League Division One as well with the ambition: get as many points as you can, finish as high as you can. There will be at least four for each. There probably will be more, but we can't guarantee it because of those factors that are out of our control. But each club has got a lot to play for because they can put themselves in the best position possible by winning football matches. The FA at this point have not had any involvement in any of these discussions in any way, shape or form. Now, the bottom line is all promotions and relegations, as we know, in finality will, will be very much in their hands. Now, what Phil's just alluded to there is something that the FA may have a view on. Not that they'll share it with us, John. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, ho hopefully it will Hopefully, it'll be our decision as regards to how we operate it. But it's, it's all very much new and it's all very much in its infancy. And I think this first season is going to be very much one of, like, put it out there, see how it all works, and then, if necessary, in the following season, we can maybe readdress any of the concerns. But uh, we certainly know what, what we want to achieve at the moment. So if, if I can just pick up finally then on the on the point that we've talking about here, that the allocation of clubs, whether it's from promotion or lateral movement or relegation, is very much in the gift of the of the FA. Phil, am I right in thinking really that the work that you and John and, and, and the group have been doing and the and the dates um, that you're working towards, the milestones that you're working towards is very much around making sure that we've done our homework on time because we're going to need the FA to sign off on it and make this a reality. Yes, exactly. Uh, the only thing I would add to that is the FA in their proposal document have talked about this being a one year restructure for the Southwest and within their own rules and regulations, they, they've allowed for some of those things to be different than normal. So, for example, we won't necessarily have this situation that a team in Northumbria uh, with a slightly better points per game won't necessarily have the same impact as it does in other years because the Southwest restructure uh, it, it is a model on itself. And things like the bit where it says that relegation may be reduced, that is specific to our proposal. It's not something that's in the national regulations. I would hope 
uh, and I know John would share my hopes with me, that the FA will allow us a certain degree of independence in making sure that we set up a structure that achieves the aims. And the, the aims yeah, of the yeah. proposal right along from the start were to provide a sustainable level, a sustainable regional pyramid for steps five and six in the Southwest. Um, so it's important that, you know, if we need clubs to, to make a certain division at step six viable, that the FA will be tolerant to that. If we need um, the boundary lines to be to be drawn in a certain way to make it best for, for all, that the FA will be flexible with that as well. And my thanks to John and to Phil for their time. Uh, and finally, Jim, um, one of the campaigns that you launched earlier this month um, on our social media, and there is, I know, a link on the on our web page, is the Kipmas Appeal. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, Kipmas Appeal has um, been running for a couple of years now. So uh, basically, um, Paul Watson, his brother Martin, wife Lizzie, Paul's wife Lizzie, set it up um, for people to donate money or or nearly new football shirts that can then be distributed out around the country to kids that wouldn't necessarily get a present at Christmas. Um, so this year, uh, they set out a target of £10,000 to be donated. Um, and last time I looked, it was just over 14000 that they raised. So, And I know a lot of the shirts have already been distributed out. So uh, people donate to their page they then go and buy the shirts in bulk and then they get distributed. I know I, I was involved in the distribution of the ones in Bristol. Um, so I think it's about 110 shirts went to a local uh, charity called Community of Purpose, uh, which hold Christmas clubs and uh, during school holidays and things like that of uh, underprivileged kids, basically, that wouldn't necessarily have a, a Christmas present or a football shirt. So it's probably their first football shirts that they'll be getting. So they, they all have their shirts this week. Um, so we decided to get involved with it in, in the hope that some clubs either had some old shirts or a few pound down the back of the sofa that they could donate. And it seems to have gone down really well, uh, not just with ourselves, but with in general all over the country. I mean, Gary Linnick has tweeted about it. Uh, James Corden donated a hefty sum as well. So um, yeah, there's a few names that have backed it so hopefully next year as well they'll be setting up again and uh, hopefully we'll get involved again with it but yeah it's a, it's a really good cause really good cause jim and a, and a really good time of the year and um, to be spreading a little bit of christmas joy hopefully for kids who um you know don't necessarily have a lot in the old in the old stocking and actually you know particularly at the moment i know we're all very much um enamored with um with messi and mbappe um, but actually there's something to be said for having the shirt of uh, of one of our outstanding Tool Station Western League sides in uh, in the old stocking, isn't there? There's uh, there's nothing like a bit of pride in your local team. No, it's actually like, if a club had donated a shirt and that shirt could randomly go to someone, Liverpool, Manchester, Brighton, wherever the shirts have gone, they could be packaged up, put in one of the boxes that have then gone to a random place kid will get the shirt and think, well, no one else is going to be wearing one of these. You never know what that person then becomes a fan of. They remember their first shirt. I mean, I remember my first shirt. Unfortunately, it was a Yeovil Town one, but um, <laughs> uh, 
I, I, I remember it and it got me hooked on following them and I obviously still follow them now. Um, so hopefully, yeah, someone random will be wearing a, a Bridgewater United shirt somewhere. You never know, do you? And then they become a fan for life then. Yes, from Bridgewater to Bridgend and from Radstock to Redcar. Um, <laughs> why not get Western League shirts across the length and breadth of this mighty nation? Jim, thank you very much um, uh, for your time um, this week. Are you looking forward to a Merry Christmas? Yeah, I'm a bit of a Scrooge, to be fair. Um, I'm not a great Christmas fan. It's nice with all the food and seeing family and whatever, but I'll be glad when it's over. My birthday's the first week of January. Um, which also I hate because it's so close to Christmas and New Year. No one can afford to do anything. No one wants to go out to celebrate. So I'm just like, um, meh, just, let's just get the New Year started. Right then. Well, <laughs> listeners, we've got our challenge for next season. We've got to get Jim in the Christmas spirit. I'm in the Christmas <laughs> spirit. I'm looking forward to Christmas um, with my with my lovely family and also looking forward to seeing all of those um, games, hopefully getting on on December the 26th. And, um, well, one way or another, whether it's me and Jim or me and Tom, um, before the end of 2022, you will be hearing from us on the Tool Station Western League podcast. <laughs>